Hello, everyone, and welcome to House of Fire and Blood, the podcast where we ask, what if George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood were told more like HBO's show House of the Dragon? My name is Gretchen, and I am here with Caroline. Hi, everybody. And today we're going to be uh, continuing our read-through of Fire and Blood with Chapter 3, uh, which is called Three Heads Had the Dragon, and it is about uh, governance. Uh, we've moved on the, the quote-unquote, you know, peaceful years. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, we're actually, we are actually moving into what peace looks like, actually. Yes, actual, exactly. Actual ruling and, like, governing decisions and no longer fighting in Dorne. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting, the stuff that they put in here. It's not as fun as Dorne, I don't think. I enjoyed the Dorne chapter more, but mm-hmm. I just like, I like Dorne. So. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and this time, the chapter begins with the maester saying that, like, clearly, Aegon is, like, the bestest warrior and the bestest conqueror ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he was actually a really good, peaceful king during peacetime, um, and then the chapter is mostly about stuff that, that Rainey's and Rainey's and Masenia did. did. <laughs> so. Um, what a great king during a, peacetime. He sure did a lot of things that actually his sisters did. <laughs> there's a great paragraph I wanted to read uh, that pretty much is the maester getting as close to he, he ever does as saying, like, Aegon was a figurehead. So mm-hmm. the maester says, Though none doubted that Aegon Targaryen was the final authority in all matters relating to the governance of the realm, his sisters Visenya and Rhaenys remained his partners in power throughout his reign. Save perhaps her good queen Alicent, the wife of King Jaehaerys I, no other queen in the history of the Seven Kingdoms ever exercised as much influence over policy as the Dragon Sisters. It was the king's custom to bring one of his queens with him wherever he traveled, plus the other remained at Dragonstone or King's Landing, off as not seated on the Iron Throne, ruling on whatever matters came before her. So he was a figurehead. This is what he's saying right. here. <laughs> right, which is that, like, he needed one of the sisters around when he was gone to make decisions with him. Like, he needed, you know, say, mm-hmm. Rainey's with him to make decisions when he was on, you know, on his little progress, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about. And then Visenya's back ruling and vice versa. So, like, basically, like, there's always a woman there to make decisions. Well, because, as we saw in the last chapter, when there was no woman with him at the Iron Islands, he didn't know what to do. And he said, <laughs> someone else do it. So he now he always brings one with him because he can't do it himself. Yeah, and I like the idea that, like, maybe that was the point where like he comes back from like the ironborn and is like i did such a good job i did a great job and like visenya and rainies are like all right one of us always has to go with him from here on out one of us (laughs) always has to go with him because otherwise this dude is not going to make any choices right and they're just like oh you let them pick somebody oh did you get his resume Can we? Did you talk to any references? Did you like... call like this last job? Did you? <laughs> what's, what's his experience? How old is he? <laughs> any of those things? Did you check? Uh-huh. Maybe. Yeah, I'm sure they were like very, very like shocked by that. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> the, yeah, that was the point at which they were like, "Okay, we cannot leave this man alone." Yes. And so while Aegon is, you know. Aegon fording all the time. <laughs> Rhaenys and Visenya are doing everything, and uh, they're doing a lot of marriage packs. 
which mm-hmm. becomes an important thing and ends up being an important role for other Targaryen queens in the future as well. Now the right. text, the the text says that um, uh, they did this because they like had fun doing it and like like took pleasure in doing it. And I'm those kind of, like, ladies having so much fun yeah. making marriages. And I'm like, did they or would no one else have done it? <laughs> right? Would Aegon right. have it, never done it? I Aegon doesn't <laughs> care who people marry. <laughs> Three three people tried to marry Aegon to another wife, and he was like, no thanks, I'm good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I got my two wives and maybe my boyfriend, Oris. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm cool on that front. I don't need anybody else. <laughs> oh, so this is an interesting thread. You just mentioned Oris that's coming up, and I, I kind of want to watch because I'm not sure what the answer is. The Targaryens have a very, like, laissez-faire feeling about bastardy, as far as I can tell. Mm. Because, like, Oris Baratheon was a bastard. But he was raised to, like, hand and stuff like that, which is, in modern Westeros, unheard of. I don't think right. there's, a, there's nobody on the small council who's, like, bastard-born. Um, there's another detail in this chapter about um, a, a servant or something in, who is it? It was somebody in, um, uh, a Rowan girl in Rhaenys' work, or in Visenya's work, who gets pregnant, and the queen finds her a knight to marry, and mm-hmm. actually finds a place to foster the bastard. The you know, quote-unquote bastard child. The children are not actually legitimate. That's all fake. Uh, mm-hmm. But as opposed to, like, I mean, imagine Cersei yeah. in that circumstance. Oh, my God. Or Queen Alicent, mm-hmm. as we see in House of the Dragon, you know? So right. The, the, the Targaryens seem to have a more welcoming concept yep. of bastards. Um, one of the Kingsguard. Yeah. At the one end of the Kingsguard. Of one of the yeah. Kingsguard is mm-hmm. a bastard born. Yeah. Um. Because Visenya is just like, I just want good knights. I don't fucking yeah. care where they come from. She's like, like I am going to get their resumes. Uh, everyone gets yeah. an interview. We have a three-round <laughs> interview process. And uh-huh. <laughs> I, right. I, I, and I am going to be the final deciding voice on who I gets need, chosen or not. I need seven references for the seven <laughs> gods. <laughs> Yeah, um, we were chit-chatting a little bit before about how much uh, the Targaryens seem to be really leaning into, like, the number seven. And our our current theory is that, like, this is one of those things that, like, when they conquered, they were like, man, the Westerosi seem to really like the number seven. I mean, they got seven gods, so, like, maybe we can we can prove, like, maybe we can win them over by just numbering things number seven all the time. Like, when in doubt, make it seven. Because, yes. you know, the Westerosi loves seven. Exactly. But, like, they, this it. is just, like, a cute thing that the Targaryens are like, I don't know, they just like the number seven. It's weird. Yeah. How many How many gates do we have? Oh, fuck, it's gotta be fucking seven gates on Ground King's Landing. Gotta be seven for those gods. Right. Because we need a how- gate for the stranger, which is, like, weird to me that there would uh-huh. be a gate for right. the stranger. Right, yep. Like, and how many kings guard? We gotta have seven. seven. Gotta have seven gotta kings seven. guard. How many times can you beat your wife? Only six, because the seventh is for the stranger. Sorry, and the stranger De- means death. Stranger so. means death. Yep, death. Just like pulling shit out of their ass. These people. <laughs> Just like seven. I don't know. Make it seven. Y'all like that? Yeah, exactly. Um, so so yeah, might- uh, this is the chapter where Aegon begins the um, the Targaryen propaganda machine, mm-hmm. um, which we will it. see come up again. Um, later on, but this is the beginning where he goes on his uh, his grand Westerosi propaganda tour that seems to like last the rest of his reign. But he like the way that the Maester writes it is just like Aegon only spends like a quarter of his time in King's Landing and maybe like a quarter of the time on Dragonstone, and then the rest of the time is just kind of like 
Wandering walking. around. Walking around. <laughs> walking around. Throw having people throw parties for him. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, he's like a bro. He's like a frat bro. He's he like, is. I just want people to throw me parties. Let's party, bro. I'm here at your Let's castle. Party. Um <laughs> You want me to do some laws? Uh my sister's here. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on, hold on a sec. Let me get Rainy's. <laughs> he uh, is. He's a very, um, very nice bro. He just wants to chug a beer. Yeah. And play and his fort. This is really smart. Like, hmm. um, and this is, I think, where we're going to, like, start beginning to see the theme of, like, what is what is power? What does power mean? Mm-hmm. Because, like, this propaganda tour is just really smart. A really yeah. smart decision of, like, the display of power. Right. Um, we talked about this a little bit, I think, in the first episode um, with, like, the way Rhaenyra in House of the Dragon is, like, I d- we don't actually need to burn everybody, Damon. Like, calm down. Yeah, we can um, go show our dragon. Right, we say, can just look at our dragon, and then they'll stop. Yeah, yeah, you just show up and you remind them that we have a dragon and what dragons represent, and like whatever. Then mm-hmm. everything is fine. Now, this is one of those of like, and it becomes this like big celebration of like, ooh, who's gonna get to have the king, and who's gonna right. throw the king the big- biggest party. Um, and it, like, it's, it's a really smart choice to, like, begin conquest with, like, a world propaganda tour that's like, look how cool the dragons are! Yeah, exactly. And look at our handsome Targaryen king on his cool dragon. And it involves the small folk, which is really important. It's getting the small folk on board. I mean, even though there's a description in the text that, like, he would hold, Aegon would hold court sometimes from, like, a lord's seat, and sometimes from, like, a grassy stone in a field. And it was, like, one of those, like, I'm just like you. Yeah. Just, just a regular guy with my dragon. Uh-huh. Just chilling. And Visenya's in the background, like, no, he's really just like you. He's really very, very yep. normal. <laughs> yeah, you're not You're not wrong. He is, yeah. He's a pretty average, yeah. normal dude. He yeah. just happens to have a dragon. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Actually, small folks, some of you might be smarter than this king. So... <laughs> Almost certainly some of you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and you you just mentioned, like, holding court. That's the other thing that we see this chapter being about, is that, like, this is about establishing the law of the land and the court. Like, all of the institutions that we're familiar with, by the time we're reading A Song of Ice and Fire, like, this is where we start to see them. Um, mm-hmm. Like, King's Landing is, like, growing cool. It's no longer, like, the wooden Egan fort. It, like... Mm-hmm is made of logs now and has a big gate and big walls. <laughs> it's getting bigger. Look at my hills. I have so many hills. I have three mm-hmm. hills. They're so I good. Have three hills for me and my two wives. Yes. I oh, also no. feel like that was Aegon's decision to be like, there are three of them just like us. And that one's your hill. Visenya, that's your hill. And Rainey's, that's your hill. And this is my hill with my yeah. Fort. <laughs> and Visenya's and Rainey's are like, yeah, but we're going to still live in the castle with you on the main hill. And he's like, no, but that's your hill. Like, okay, I'm going to put a steps there. Because uh, these people are really into this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Right. And yeah, and there's some there's some interesting symbolism about the three hills. Like, of, like it starts out with just, like, they're both septs. Because there's, like, the yeah. the starry, like, the, the main sept is on Visenya's hill. And then there's mm-hmm. the sept of remembrance after Rainey's dies. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually that gets burned and becomes the dragon pit. Yes. Um, and I like the symbolism of, like, those are the three seats of power. You have, like, the literal Iron Throne seat of power, like, the, mm-hmm. the king, the symbol of power in the kingship. You have religion with the with the, the sept on Visenya's yep. hill. You have religion. And then you have the dragons on the third hill. And, like, those are, like, the three pillars of power in Westeros. Yes. Exactly. Under the dragon lords. 
Under the Dragon Lords, yeah. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I do like that. I can't wait for um, the Dragon Pit. Um, so yeah, King's Landing grows. Aegon, I mean, Aegon also, like, in terms of establishing governance, more or less just assimilates into the existing governance mm-hmm. of, he hasn't changed a lot of stuff, which we'll get to. Uh-huh. And we start to get sort of little bits and pieces about things that will later become a small council. So Aegon right. himself didn't have, like, his own small council precisely, but he had a lot of advisors. And God bless, because the man needed help doing this. Yeah, uh, he yep. was. I, and kudos to him. I think that's part of his characterization is that he's willing to listen to people. He not mm-hmm. only is willing to, he wants to. He right. seeks out counsel. He writes to the Septon in Old Town. He seeks mm-hmm. out the advice of his sisters. He seeks out the advice of a team of maesters that work for him, the most reliable people ever. Yeah, um, and that, yeah, it talks about the mm-hmm. master of coin. Like that's mm-hmm. the chapter where, like, the I feel like the maester wants us to be like, "Wow, what a wise king!" Look at willing to seek advice from other people, and like, "Wow, look at this dude who doesn't know how to make choices and wants and like is basically mm-hmm. like developing a team of experts to make choices for him." And like, there's a wisdom in that. Like, I yeah, agree, there's a absolutely. wisdom in that. But it also like fits really neatly, Caroline, with your and I characterization of Aegon as someone who just like doesn't really know how to make smart choices. Yeah. So he has to have other people around him to make him for him, which is why whenever they're like, Aegon decided to do this, I'm like, sure he did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, definitely. Well it's kind of Aegon and a team of twelve people decided to make this decision. Exactly. It's kind of interesting if you think about it like in terms of like Robert Baratheon, like if you compare the two. Because Baratheon was a disinterested king. But, and Mm -hmm. so he relied on his counsel, right? But he was disinterested. I don't think Aegon's disinterested. Yeah. I think he's just aware of his own limitations and Mm -hmm. is okay with that. And that's unique for a patriarchal situation. That's very unique for a king in a patriarchy to be the number one person questioning himself. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. Like. Yeah. And if he didn't, if he didn't do that, no one else would. I mean, maybe in this case, Visenya and Reynas would. Um, But like. Uh, no, there's no other lords that would question him because he's the the dragon king, right? Right. So mm-hmm. that that self reflection was part of why he was a pretty successful king and a pretty you know, pretty good at this first you know this first stab at Targaryen rulership mm-hmm. because he wasn't like my word is law and that's it. You know, he wasn't a king Ares or anything like that. He he wasn't even like other Westerosi lords that we encounter who are so confident in their own ability to rule. Um, that they don't listen to other people. Like he, he's like he's very like the Saris. He wants to listen to other people. He wants other people to tell him what to do. Right, right. And this goes back to what we were saying in the first episode about how, um, like, part of what this starts to point at is that like true leadership is actually not a thing that one person can do. Correct. That like, yep. which is which is part of the whole thing about like monarchy is bad because no one per no one person should ever be ultimately responsible for making all these decisions. Right. Like. This should be the realm of people who are experts in certain things. Like, someone who doesn't know money shouldn't be making decisions about taxes. Right. Like, you consult people who know taxes to make decisions about taxes. Someone Mm -hmm. who doesn't know, like, local customs probably shouldn't be stepping in and just being like, all right, I've decided how you're going to do things. Um, I mean, unless the the local customs are bad, um, which Mm -hmm. we will get back to. Um, But, yeah, that, like, this... Like well, I'm sure we'll talk about again when we get to to Jaharis and Alizan, which is which is important that they that that the maester is planting seeds that there yeah. is another you know there's another like ruling couple that like does things more like this, um, is that like no one person can make all these d- decisions and whenever 
the Targaryens buy into the idea that one person should be making all these decisions, things get real bad real fast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, uh, we also have during this time, um, Rhaenys continuing the Targaryen propaganda machine mm-hmm. by supporting the arts and stuff like that. There's this little mention in the text that Visenya thought her su- sister was frivolous for this. Please cite your sources. How how would you ever know that? Right. What, how would you ever, ever know what Visenya thought about Rhaenys doing this? And, like, Visenya's way too smart to not understand the purpose of supporting yeah, the arts. Yeah, right? <laughs> This this feels like one of those like like comments from the maester that's actually his comment that like he puts into the mouth of somebody else so that he doesn't have to say yeah. I I think I think that one of the ruling dragon queens was frivolous mm-hmm. which like you can't say that as a maester no. so but you're like no 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 it's fine if her sister thinks it though right and it's yeah. okay yeah. to Vasenia text- thinks that yeah. it's frivolous sure sure maester Gildane, <laughs> I believe you and it's fine to characterize Visenya as someone who's, like, critical and harsh due to how she'll have to be characterized later in the history. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, given various things right. that will occur. Right. <laughs> Clearly the lady who swings a sword would think that the lady who, like, enjoys singing is dumb and frivolous. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Obviously. Because, yeah. because people cannot have multiple traits. Women are either sexy or evil sorceresses. We went over this, Gretchen. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's two kinds of women. <laughs> right. And the sexy ones are probably frivolous. Absolutely. The 100%. They like songs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, they sure do. They like songs and bards, and they're probably fucking the bards and, you know, those those sexy women and their songs. Yep. Um, we also get the Kingsguard in this chapter. Um, yes. This is where we, we learn the origin of the Kingsguard. Um, I personally love this story. Oh, I love the oh my god. So tell it. I love the, I love this part. <laughs> okay. I feel like I need to read it in full because the, like you just need maester, to deeply appreciate. The Maester like like is trying to hide the relationship between Aegon uh-huh. and Visenya, but like right. he can't hide how well this characterizes them. Uh-huh. He just cannot. So there's right. there's the time she cuts him. I think that's yes. kind of the, the Yes, this of is it. what we're talking about. Um so, um, during the Dornish War, she, meaning Visenya, took to wearing a shirt of mail night and day, even under her court clothes, and urged the king to do the same. When Aegon refused, Visenya grew furious. Even with black fire in your hand, you are only one man, she told him, and I cannot always be with you. Shows you what she thinks about his prowess in defending himself. Yeah. When the king pointed out that he had his guardsmen with him, Visenya drew Dark Sister and slashed him across the cheek so quickly the guards had no time to react. Your guards are slow and lazy, she said. I could have killed you as easily as I cut you. You require better protection. King Aegon, bleeding, had no choice but to agree. <laughs> now, I'd like to say at the outset, it's not good to cut or hit or physically injure your significant other. That is domestic no. violence. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. These are fictional people, so it's okay. We're, de- we're not dealing with, like, a real crime or anything like that. Uh, this characterizes them so well, the two of them. Mm-hmm. Just, like, yep. the fact that she's telling him something perfectly reasonable. You are yep. a target because you are literally the conquering king of this land. You are a uh-huh. target. And he's like, but I don't want to wear our armor. It's, it's heavy. It's uncomfortable. Like, it's, but it's, my court clothes won't look nice with it. You know, it's like, going to harsh my vibes, Visenya. Yeah, like, just, like, to like, grab a beer, man. Like, calm down. <laughs> and her response is to, like, like, more or less slap him across the face and, like, say, like, stop it. But, like, with her sword. 
And, <laughs> and like, just the fact that, like, her initial response... Well, I mean, I guess this is a question. The maester presents it as that being her initial response. That he says, like, no once, and she slashes him. I This conversation might have been going on and on and on. Yeah. You know, this might have been the kind of thing that was the culmination of a really frustrating uh-huh. like, series of conversations where he just wouldn't take her seriously. Yep. And finally she was like, I'll show you how serious this is. Like, uh-huh. you dumbass, pay attention. Your uh-huh. fort will not protect you. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it just does such a good job characterizing them. Right, because at this point, like, there have been, like, I think two or three attempted assassinations. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that after the first one, she was like, dude, buddy, you got to wear armor. And he's like, yeah. no, I'm fine. And then the second one, she's like, come on, you got to. And he's like, I'm fine. And yeah. after the third time, she's like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I have to prove to you, like, how to, pr- like, please get people around you who will protect you when I'm not there. Yeah. Because um, some of the assassination attempts, she's actually the one that cuts down. Yes. The attackers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I just love that that little note of like, and I cannot always be with you, which like mm-hmm. to me, like that's like, that's such a loaded phrase of like, also implies you cannot be trusted to protect yourself. Yeah, well, he can't. <laughs> I mean, his sister standing right in front of him pulls out, pulls out her sword, slashes him across the face. He doesn't even, I mean, he doesn't have time to react and pull back. Right. I mean, he's like, you could have just pulled back a few inches and not been slashed. But this is the bestest swordsman. Caroline. He's the best. Oh, I forgot he's the best warrior. Oh. He's the best warrior. Damn. Oh. <laughs> he meant to get slashed. He, You know what? The sword didn't slash him. He slashed the sword. Yeah. And that, right. That's what happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> he just went for it. He dove. He wanted right to on. be slashed. Uh-huh. Yeah. New, new Targaryen propaganda. He wanted yep. a cool scar. Uh, yeah. It, it makes him look It makes him look handsome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a it's sexy like Tyrion. scar. Just like Tyrion. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Tyrion scar. It's a sexy scar. It's yes. fine. So um, then Aegon's like, all right, all right, all right. Maybe I do need some some dudes. So they're like, okay, we're going to make a Kingsguard. Uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be based on the Night's Watch, but they wear black. Ours are going to wear white. Uh-huh. Creative. Creative. Right. And there's going to be seven of them. Uh-huh. Yep. Because we have right. the motif we're going Love with. Gotta have the symbolism. And all these knights come forward. All these people come forward to want to join. And I love this detail. Aegon's like, dude, all these people want to be my king's guard. Let's have a tourney and uh-huh. like, see who wins the tourney. And the, the text here is fantastic. Wait, I have to read this. So he's like, let's have a tourney. I want to have a tourney. And the text goes, Basenya would hear none of, would not hear of it, however. Uh, she would choose the knights herself. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> She's like, no, no, we're not having a party to pick your guards. <laughs> no. We're, we have to we have to do like a really intense interview process and figure out who's like the actual bet not like somebody who's good at tourneys, bro. Like, right, right, and like this totally made me think of the scene in House of the Dragon when mm-hmm. Rhaenyra is picking the new Kingsguard and um, oh god, uh, Hightower is like, well, this one is from a house that we want to make happy. And this one, mm-hmm. like, won seven tourneys. And she's like, do any of these have actual battlefield experience? Mm-hmm. And he's yep. like, I mean, one. But he's like a... Is it, isn't Kristen Cole a bastard? Or is he just no. like like a third son or something? Like, Yeah, he's like, he's like a lower... Yeah, he's like a lower son. 
He yeah. was he was he's knighted. He's a knight. Uh, I don't even know that he's land. I don't think he's even landed. Right, but yeah, yeah, and she's like that one, the one who has experience. Like this is a very yeah. similar vibe that like Rainier is giving similar, similar vibes to Visenya, being like, okay, but like who can actually fight though, and who yeah. would be loyal though, like, and who would be loyal? That's the other thing with with King Aegon. Uh, yeah, King Aegon. Um, he's like, let's have a cool tourney, and Visenya's like, they they have to be good at this, but they also have to like be willing to die for you. Uh-huh. So this is not like somebody who wins glory in attorney kind of job. This is like a really serious, intense kind of job. And it goes right. like, okay. Right. And what's interesting is that like um, so many of them, like it says that they're like um, people who gave up their inheritance, hedge knights, bastard born, um, younger sons, that like a lot of these are men because it is men, um, mm-hmm. who have, like, no other commitments. Mm-hmm. Like, who can, in some sense, like, offer their full and complete loyalty to the king's service because this is, like, a pathway for honor in a feudalist society that was denied to them because younger sons, you know, like, mm-hmm. they're not going to inherit. They're probably not going to make the best marriage. Like, mm-hmm. there, there are limited pathways for, like, younger sons and hedge knights and bastardborn to, like, be elevated in this feudalist society and like this is a pathway for them and it makes sense that people who like don't have as many other commitments to like um their inheritance or marriage or things like that would be willing to like die for the king because Mm -hmm. in a sense what else do they have to live for like this is a way for them to gain a level of honor and prestige that is denied them if this pathway didn't exist and fame i mean yes. so what we learn what we get in this is also the white book the first writings in the white book yeah of the first king's guard and the white book's you know really important and is still being used in a song of ice and fire proper i i question how reliable the white book is because i think it's reliable in terms of like they they wrote down the right people i think it'd be weird right. if they wrote down the wrong person as a king right that, you're gonna get the right names yeah i think we got the right names and like the right houses and stuff like that but any other information that comes from the white book is going to be skewed, right? Because it's written in there, uh, mm-hmm. you know, by somebody with a bias at some point. So as the white book comes up, if it does come up as a source here or in, elsewhere, you know, I think we, we need to to question. I mean, if anything, Game of Thrones, the finale of Game of Thrones gives us the main reason to question it. Because Brienne writes in Jamie's, uh, he died protecting his queen. Which is like, technically sure. But... <laughs> is that what i watched on my screen or did i watch them get crushed by a pile of bricks in the one place where bricks fell there you know like did i watch the plot convenience kill them so it's that one yeah. brick was the valencar oh the valencar <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much the plot summary of what happens in yeah uh, this we started doing some analysis already because we always do um so what was the maester thinking for this one. And I think we both agree that uh, your sexism is showing is one of the things. <laughs> yeah, we, we're <laughs> coming back on. to we're coming back to the like and his sisters that we saw in chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, only it feels really like a lot more blatant in this it's chapter so... because he'll be like, Aegon, the bestest king who ruled and this council of people and look at all the decisions the sisters made. And then the sisters are the last ones mentioned. Right. Well, it's like. And, like, I started reading the chapter and, like, aggressively highlighted a section 
uh, and, I, and, then I, and then I read your notes, so you had the same thing written. Um, it's like Aegon's talking, they're talking about his who ruled, and he's like, he gathered all the best men, and then parenthesis goes, and a few women, at, to like help rule or whatever. And I'm like, you're literal sister wives. What are you talking about, in parentheses, and a few women? Like, the literal, like, two of your three rulers. Yes. Yeah. The, the queens of Westeros. The queens of Westeros. Just a few women. You know, I don't know. Their names don't matter. Oh. And, like, and, like the chapter's all about what Rhaenys and Visenya are doing to actually mm-hmm. run the realm. And, you know, how Aegon is refusing to put on a male shirt underneath his court clothes. Right. So. Right. That, like, like... Aegon cannot be bothered to protect himself. We already talked about how, like, there's no way he would have been brokering marriages, political no. marriages. Um, I don't even know that the propaganda tour was his idea in terms of the, the propaganda part of it. Like, I could totally say Aegon being like, you know what we should do? I should go, like, hang out with all the lords. That'd be super cool. We can have parties and, like... That'd be fun, yeah. That'd be super fun. And Visenya and Rainey's are like... Interesting. Interesting. Like, okay, take your This dragon. could be politically useful <laughs> yes. um, for us to do this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Go out. Have some parties. One of us is always going to be there with you, though. I mean, just so you know, one of us is always. Yeah. And then the other one will be back here actually making decisions. <laughs> and that's the other thing. Like, literally, it says that when Aegon is not at King's Landing, one of the sisters is literally ruling and from the not. Iron Throne. We know that he's only in King's Landing a quarter of the year. Right. Yes. So he's only available for any kind of rulership a quarter of the year. Yep. <laughs> he's yep. not. He's not doing it. Right. When it, You mentioned the brokering marriages thing, and it just made me think, because we had asked back in our first episode who decided that Aegon was going to marry Visenya and Rhaenys. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is more evidence that Visenya and Rhaenys were the ones brokering that because mm-hmm. you know that that's kind of their role as women right in the society is to arrange marriages and I think that would be the kind of thing they would be involved in deciding right so. right and that's like actually a really important political thing that like I think I have seen in the fandom get overlooked the idea of the importance of marriages but like mm-hmm. intermarrying among the lordly houses was not something that was normal um, no, it started here. Yep. And, yeah. And, like, and the, you know, joining of the big houses really makes a big difference. I mean, the whole reason Robert's Rebellion could be successful mm-hmm. was because you had the Warden of the North and the Warden of the East join forces. Right. And yep. take on, uh, you know, take on King's Landing. Yeah, but prior to this, when they actually were, like, independent kingdoms, it was more normal for, like, the king or, like, the ruling house to marry their children into their bannermen. So, right. like... You know, Visenya and Rainey's coming along and going, no, 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 no. We're going to marry all of your lordly houses together as a way to knit the kingdom mm-hmm. together was like another way that they're like, this is smart politicking. And oh, this is really smart, smart like oh, power consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the maester just kind of like, I don't know. They just like making marriages. Isn't that nice for them? And I'm like, they took, they took just- us. They took a special delight in making marriages. A special marriages. delight in oh making marriages. God. Ladies love to, they're just matchmaking. And I'm like, they, they are doing the politics of ruling the realm. <laughs> ah. uh, the maesters. Well, the maesters, you know, Gretchen, the maesters are the smartest and the best of <gasps> <at> Westeros. <laughs> oh, you cannot see me, but I am making the jerk off motion. Like, <laughs> there are like two pages in this chapter where they're like, where like Archmaester Gildane is like, you know, the king had a lot of wise counselors. 
And you know who the smartest and wisest people in the realm were? The maesters. The you know maesters. who was the smartest of those? The archmaesters. Yeah. You know, I'm one of those. <laughs> I'm one of those. I am one of the smartest, smartest boys. I went to college. Um, I've read books. All of us have. We're so smart. We're the best. Yeah. Um, you know, and and the king just loved asking us our opinions on things all the yeah. time. Exactly. We're the best. <laughs> oh my god! I just the 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 self masturbation of that is just oh crazy. my god. <laughs> he just cannot resist taking at least like a page and a half to talk about how great the maesters are. I know. Um, and I, I liked like- your comment about the the the, fa- <laughs> the fancy maester cosplay because yeah. like he mentions this like who's you know, rod and ring and mask are of copper or of gold. And I'm like, what the, f-? like, I don't know what any of this Isn't means. It's their fancy maester cosplay. They had to bring their <laughs> cosplay with them to King's Landing. I don't see the problem. <laughs> He's like, I made you, like, he, he did the original, which was copper. I used the gold version, which is a different skin you can get in the DLC if you download <laughs> it. It's, it's, <laughs> wait until you see the platinum one. Yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> mm, right, 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 right. Uh, but I don't me- know. I don't this know if makes it's me think of like them. in academia, you know, like when you get like a doctoral degree, you literally get like fancy robes and like a like a hat yeah. with a tassel on it. That like, and like those used to mean a thing. Like we still do, we still have academic regalia. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to mean something, but it used to mean something like five hundred years ago. Yeah. Um. It's so, just like, silly now. It's just silly now, and like that's what I think of this being is like, oh, it's their it's their version of academic regalia that like means something to them, but like everyone would, else honestly, is just kind of like, I don't know. It's when I when I graduated cosplay. when I graduated law school, I learned the day of graduation when they handed out the robes that we were only allowed to wear for the ceremony, and then had to give back. Yep. <laughs> we had to pay a hundred dollars or something like that to rent quote unquote the robe for an afternoon. Mm-hmm. The hat for law school is like round. It's not exactly round. It's like it's like a hexagon or something. It's not yeah. square. And mm-hmm. all of us, we were all sitting there, like us, all like in our like mid to late twenties, holding these hats. Like, why are these hats are fucking weird. Uh, we're like, why do we have like? Did anyone know? Like, none of us knew we were gonna get weird hats like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I would much rather have a gold ring rod and mask i think that would be much better god can you imagine how cool graduations would be if like you Uh, just saw this field of like masks masks? of different colors Ooh, see we need to do this why can't we do this let's get some stupid hats anyway (laughs) so let's get into uh into our analysis yeah well that was part of analysis what was the master thinking yes uh what what really happened so I mean, we've talked really pretty heavily about yeah. like who's in charge, and it's definitely not Aegon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I read the passage out already. That's as close to as the major. No gets one to doubts say. that Aegon was the final authority. I think everyone doubts, think sir. Everyone. everyone. Doubts <laughs> oh, that's so great. Uh huh. Uh, so let's talk about uh, justice and Aegon's peace. Oh. <gasps> Because oh, this oh is a gosh. really interesting topic, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of notes on this because we've got a lot. Yeah. Of so this is something um, I was starting to mention. I think in our last episode mm-hmm. uh, that was was sort of starting to come up is that uh, what what overarching question I think here for these three is why did they invade? Why invade Westeros? Mm-hmm. And they invade. They do this conquering campaign. They successfully conquer most of Westeros. And then they proceed to not really change anything. Yep. 
So they, they do some stuff like Aegon himself seems to be obsessed with keeping peace. Like he mm-hmm. wants there to be peace. Kind of like Viserys. Kind of like Viserys. I think that's part of his characterization, that he's mm-hmm. he's not a conflict-driven kind of dude. Right. Um, which is a good character trait to have as a right. leader. Right, y- yeah, to not, I mean, it's actually yeah. a really good character trait for a king to have. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's like one of his, probably his best character trait. So he really wants peace. To that extent, they do things like they do the intermarriages and they um, they make things consistent, like certain taxes they make consistent, like, like practical kind of shit. Mm-hmm. But they don't otherwise disturb Westerosi culture all that much. Mm-mm. And I guess the question is why? Like you come to conquer this place and take it over. You're Targaryens. You have your own kind of culture, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't impute that to any like you don't put that on anyone else right you, you just have it yourself in your Aegon fort and do your own sister wives thing mm-hmm. and don't really change you're not fundamentally changing the system so what was the point of this invasion right yeah and instead actually when you bring up um things like um like the sister wives and you know incest like that actually like eventually we'll get there but like becomes a point of like targaryen exceptionalism that right. like Eventually that we will see that like a lot of the things that like make that are like kind of Targaryen culture, which may or may not have been Valyrian, like we just don't know. We don't know, know enough about Valyria to know if like this was how it was done then or if this is just like a weird Targaryen thing. Mm-hmm. Um But like they're basically just kind of like, oh no, 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 no. Our culture is ours because we're special. You don't get to have our culture. Mm-hmm. Our, you know, like the things that make us Targaryens are ours and they make us special and different from from you that's what make us closer to gods than men actually Mm. these are our special rules for us um which is interesting because they could have gone the other way yes they could have said incest is good for everyone Mm -hmm. they could have said multiple wives good for everyone you know they could have said women equal power yeah equal power for women for everyone i mean they could have done that they Uh had they they just conquered they could have done those things but they didn't and it's just, it's odd to me because when I think about, like, why a person would want to conquer a land in, like, a feudal society kind of thing, it's, like, obviously you get the golden riches and whatever and, and more power, but also to, like, you think you rule better. You mm-hmm. think your way of life is better, and so people should do your way of life. But oh that, God, it, that aspect's not here. Oh, my God, I just had a thought. Mm-hmm. That the thought that I had <clears throat> when you were talking about, like, we can do it better that, like, mm-hmm. what if literally the only content is y'all are fighting too much? <laughs> what if this is about, like, noisy neighbors fighting with each other? And Aegon was like, God damn it. I'm tired of all of these people bickering. It's just, the middle I, of the night. I'm trying to get some sleep. <laughs> just want everyone over there to stop fighting because I don't want to have to get, like, I don't want to have them to keep appealing to me to get involved. So you yes. know what? If I take over, y'all will stop fighting with each other. Right, then we don't have to worry about this anymore. Excellent. Then we don't have to worry that, like, all of the decisions that they make are about <laughs> minimizing conflict between the seven kingdoms, and otherwise they do not care. It's just kind of like, y'all need yeah. to stop fighting. That could definitely be it. That could, they were, that they were could just be it. tired of their neighbors fighting with each other all the time. <laughs> we're like, you know damn what? kids. Peace. Peace. Peace meaning an absence of armed conflict. They're like, I'm going to turn this country around. Okay, listen, I'm, we're going home because you're fighting too much in the back yeah. of the car. It's, <laughs> I, if you don't stop, 
If you don't stop, I will come with my dragons and make Don't make you, me come back there. Stop. <laughs> don't make me come back with fire and blood. Right. <laughs> oh, I love that interpretation. It's the only thing I can think of. Because it's the only thing that substantially changes. The only other thing would be if if the prophecy concept is true. Mm-hmm. And they're basically like, whatever, we don't care if they're like us. We just care that they are united. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. possible as well. Right. I don't love the prophecy thing. You can hear in my voice that I don't love yeah. the prophecy thing. <laughs> I don't really But it's either. also possible, I suppose. Right. Right. <laughs> or both, you know? Both could be possible. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. yeah, and that's actually... Um, that was this whole thing that we're talking about with, like, they didn't make any changes was actually a thing that came up when I was reading this on, like, a negative side of things. Mm-hmm. Because I'm looking at this situation and going, these three people had the power to make substantial changes to the society without resistance. Yep. Like, yep, they, they literally didn't. could come in and be like, your patriarchal feudalism, done. Mm-hmm. And if you want to fight me about it, I got dragons that I can burn you with. Like, yeah, do you go, go really, ahead and try. Yeah. Yeah. Try me. Try me. Like they could have come in and broken the wheel. <laughs> do you you know, like they could have they could have come and broke the wheel. Yeah. They had the power to do so. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. Like they took over and were just kind of like, okay, good. No one's fighting anymore. That's fine. Um, local laws and customs, we'll leave them alone. Um, keep doing, keep on, keep on keeping on, carry on mm-hmm. with your way of life. We don't actually want to mess with your way of life. We have no problems with your way of life. Keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't want you to be fighting with each other anymore. Right. And that's like a point where I was thinking about that question of power and what is power and what should power be used for. Mm-hmm. That like, this is a situation where like, you know, my politics are showing is I'm looking at this and going like, they have the power to disrupt an oppressive system and they did nothing. Right. Exactly. Instead, so they were they like, we just want to be in charge of your oppressive system. <laughs> right. They said, we, we are the wheel. Yes, we yeah. are, in fact, the wheel. We yeah. don't actually want to break it. We just want to be on top. Right, exactly. They were on top once, and it was pretty nice. Um, they, I guess, what's interesting, what, what makes, what I think about this is that, would they have thought to break this kind of system? Do they right. have, do they have the backgrounds to think about the fact that it could be broken? Mm-hmm. And then we get into, well, what were the Targaryens like on Dragonstone? And we don't really know because all we have is the right. maester writing about it. And he writes about it in a patriarchal, men-inheriting kind of way. Mm-hmm. But we don't actually know that that was the case. Right. We don't actually know what like what the act, what ruling on Dragonstone was like. Because he, he describes in the very first chapter the, you know, the line of people that led to Aegon the Conqueror. And it's all like the men, you know, who like, inherited and ruled Dragonstone next. But the maester has no idea right. mm-hmm. who was really doing that. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I don't know. I think it depends a lot on what, what their politics was like on Dragonstone. And maybe it was a kind of thing where they didn't have, they didn't care about how the other people ruled. They just wanted to continue to be able to rule their way. Mm-hmm. And as we see later on, they drop the polygamy thing pretty early on in Targaryen rule after Aegon and his sisters. But the incest thing lasts all the way through to, you know, our good girl Daenerys, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, and they, they make carve-outs for themselves so that they can continue to do that because right. uh, they are so exceptional. Mm-hmm. I just think it's 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 a very interesting question of why why not? And I mean, maybe at the end of the day, they just weren't particularly social justice warriors. They weren't 
invading because they were so concerned about the the small folk. Like, for example, when when and if Daenerys ever invades Westeros, I imagine Daenerys Targaryen will do things or attempts to do things to help the small folk. Right, right, yep. She has that characterization. She has that concern in the forefront of her mind of how do I help these people? Mm-hmm. Aegon, Visenya, and Rhaenys have that to an extent, to the extent that they're not exceptionally cruel. They're right. not trying to kill people they don't have to kill, right? They're not making bad decisions in that way. Um, so they value the small folk more so than other lords. But they they value their lives, which is great, but I don't know how much they value the the quality of their lives or see them as, really see them as full people, I guess, you know? Yeah, and that brings up an interesting point, um... I like what you're where you're going with that about like bringing in Daenerys as a potential invader because like that I mean that seems pretty well set up right like that that the symbolic parallels between Aegon the Conqueror and Daenerys Targaryen are like pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, the three dragons. Everything. Yes, yeah. the three dragons. The fact that she's you know coming like she will most likely make Dragonstone her seat as like the the seat from which she will then invade Westeros if that does happen. Um, and I think Martin is doing that on purpose, like has been on purpose, like setting her up to be kind of like a second Aegon the Conqueror. And like people mm-hmm. have pointed this out. Um, but what you're getting at is that what makes Daenerys different from Aegon the Conqueror and Rhaenys and Visenya is that like Daenerys is looking at what would be looking at Westerosi society and wanting to implement changes. Right. Rather than just wanting to be in charge. Right. And I, I wonder why that is mm-hmm. you know i think part of it is daenerys is much younger yeah and a little bit more idealistic that's kind of part, well and her experiences are totally different and her experience that's why i'm saying that like it's hard to to analyze this without knowing right what life was like on dragonstone for the targaryens mm-hmm. because i don't know what experiences they had there so like i'm assuming on dragonstone it was still feudalism in the sense of they were ruling over people and so right. they were they were better than these other people they were ruling over, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Daenerys kind of is is never really by the time she gets to be in a position of power over people, she spent most of her life being not in a position of power, right? You know, and being tra- like being traded for an army. You know, when she was married off to Khal Drogo, being abused in that way, in a very complicated, complicated way, um, and seeing abuse and destruction through the raids the Dothraki do, things like that. And being part of that, being complicit in that a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, as she gets power trying to affect change, she had a very different childhood yeah. than Aegon, Visenya, and Rhaenys. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe that's the difference, is kind of their perspectives on it in that way. Yeah. No, I think that's really good. Yeah, that she she's coming from a different place. She has experienced what it is like to be oppressed. Right. Um, exactly. In a way that, like, we have no reason to believe that Rainey's or Visenya or Aegon have ever experienced a life of oppression or suffering or um, deprivation the way that Danny did. And actually, actually, that might explain if Rainey's and Visenya were treated as equals by Aegon, which yep. it looks like they were, mm-hmm. that would explain why they wouldn't even really relate to even the women who are oppressed in westeros mm-hmm. because they were never oppressed like those women right they yeah don't, they don't have that personal experience 
You know, right. like, I'm I'm surprised that things survived like the right of the first night. Like, right. Uh, there is no woman on the planet that thinks the right of the first night is okay. Yeah. There is yeah. no, not one, not one. Uh-huh. In this fictional world, in real life, not one. Not one person's like, wow, I can't wait for my wedding night when a stranger will force himself on me. The, there's not a single person who's like, ah, oh, I just mm-hmm. I can't wait for it. How that got passed, uh, a, a little triarchy here where two of them are women, yep. requires a real disconnect between mm-hmm. them and the common woman's experience. Right. Right. And like, that's part, like that, that disconnect is part of what, was kind of like niggling at me when I was thinking about like the story that we have in this chapter where Rainey's like has it like executes a judgment um, yes. that like is is pretty favorable for women um but where like so like these dude this guy like beats his wife um to and death. to death um and is brought before the court and she asks him well how many times did you hit her and he says a hundred times and then she goes and she thinks a while and she comes back and she's like okay my judgment um, like, let's see if I can find the exact passage because, like, I feel like it's worth, um, like, reading mm-hmm. in full exactly what she has to say. Um, okay. Queen Rainies consulted with her maesters and septons, then rendered her decision. An adulterous wife gave offense to the seven, who had created women to be faithful and obedient to their husbands and therefore must be chastised. Blech. Yeah. Um, sure. sure, Jan. As God has but seven faces, however, the punishment should consist of only six blows, for the seventh blow would be for the stranger and the stranger is the face of death. Thus, the first six blows the man had struck had been lawful, but the remaining 94 had been an offense against gods and men and must be punished in kind. From that day forth, the rule of six became the common law along with the rule of thumb. So, like, there's a little bit of fourth wall breaking, which is, again, like, very, like, feels like a very pointed, like, See, patriarchy is bad because technically if we just abided by things by the rule of thumb, he was fine because he didn't beat his wife with anything larger than the thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and like on the face of it, I'm like, wow, great. This is better. This is a better law. But at the same time, I'm like, Rainies, why you- didn't you just say beating your wife is bad? Right. Exactly. You could have just said, don't beat your wife. And if you feel like beating your wife, I have a dragon and you can consult Meraxes about it. Right. So this is the interesting thing about it. So she figures out, Rainey's obviously is offended by this this, this situation. A Uh man comes who has beaten his wife wife to death. She's offended by this. Yep. This happens in real life all the time with judges, right? So judges... Uh-huh. get a case or whatever and they're offended by whatever it is and they and they want to make a certain decision and uh-huh. then they go and find the law that allows them to do that it happens constantly uh-huh. it's actually probably the way most things are decided <laughs> so she says i just have to find some fucking way to justify um two things one preventing this in the future and two punishing this man because the punishment the man gets is to be beaten by the brothers with like 90 94 times the number of time the number of times that were an offense to the gods he gets beaten right. that many times Right. So she finds it. She's like, I got to find a way to beat the shit out of this guy. So how am I, so I going to do that? And so she, she comes up with this clever way to limit, you know, not, not, not eliminate, but mm-hmm. limit right. abuse to women in the future and to beat the shit out of this guy who killed mm-hmm. his wife. But she does it all within the confines of the Westerosi patriarchy. She uses right. those, those details. And... I just imagine it didn't occur to her mm-hmm. that she could just say, no, we're not doing any of this. 
you're you're going to jail and nobody beat their wives anymore you know like it didn't even occur to her that that was an option because they haven't been challenging the westerosi culture right the one thing that points a little bit against that though maybe we could say she Mm -hmm. wasn't aware is that the text tells us that this is not the case in dorn this is another one of those tiny cases where the maester says like um and i and i pointed out because it makes me laugh um where he's like um he said like the text says this the right of a husband to chastise an erring wife was an establishment was established throughout the seven kingdoms parentheses save in dorn um which like on the one hand i'm like so not the seven kingdoms bro like you can't say it's established in the seven kingdoms and then say but dorn and i'm like then it's not the seven kingdoms it's the six kingdoms but you know what gretchen I love that as a detail to support our tinfoil hat fan theory that Rainus chose to stay in Dorne. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. like, think about it. If she had this experience where yeah. she, you know, maybe even sees the body of this woman, like, maybe the brothers bring the body and she, like, mm-hmm. sees how, how that this woman was beaten to death. And then, because she goes and consults with, like, the maesters and the septons. So it's, like, her and, like, a bunch of dudes. Right. And the dudes are, like, well, you know, you have to be able to beat your wife somehow. And the only way she could get them to agree to something was to, like, make this bullshit about seven or whatever. Uh-huh. So now she knows she's established a law that allows women to continue to be beaten. Mm-hmm. And then when she's captured by the Dornish and sort of gets to know them, realizing, like, oh, they don't do that here. Mm-hmm. They don't do these things here. Women are valued here. Women are listened to here. Right. I could see that being, like, a formative experience that makes her mm-hmm. uh, more... Uh, sympathetic to the Dornish than to the rest of the Westerosi. Yeah, I feel like Martin is frequently, so from a Doyle's perspective, that Martin is frequently using Dorn in these ways to remind the reader that there was almost always literally a different way of doing things, like literally right next door. So lest lest we fall into the like, well, how would they know they could do differently? He's like, Dorn, Dorn did it differently. And like, that there's always this like constant reminder that like, there is literally the country next door that, like, it's still pa- mm-hmm. it can still be patriarchal and it's definitely still feudalist, mm-hmm. um, but it's less patriarchal and they have much more freedom for women and like they don't beat their wives in Dorne. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, people, this is a problem people have actually just studying history as well. You tend to defer to like how it was then, uh-huh. but the how it was then is designed by the people in power. So, like, yes. I, I have this argument with people all the time. When we talk about um, uh, slavery. And people are like, well, well, you know, slavery in the United States, which was human trafficking. So America's apartheid, human trafficking in the United States. Uh-huh. Uh, well, it was acceptable back then. It, everybody did. It was acceptable. And I was like, you know who didn't think it was acceptable? All of the people who were enslaved. Right. And right. if you say it was acceptable, you're you're denying the fact that those were human beings. Uh-huh. You yeah. know, you're cool. And it's like, you're just accepting what the people in power were saying. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I think you make an excellent point. I think Dorn, Martin is using Dorn to remind us of that juxtaposition. Like, it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. If, you, if you're saying a husband has to be able to beat his wife because of, well, it's the patriarchy, that's how it is. No, no, it doesn't have to be that way. You're accepting what the people and the oppressors mm-hmm. are telling you to accept. And you that's specifically what you should be questioning. That's right. exactly what you should be questioning. It's uh-huh. what the oppressors are telling you to believe. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So I this is one of those that. moments that it's like, 
on the surface, it's like, yay, a win. And then like my, like, of course I'm bringing my modern sensibilities, but like mm-hmm. we're supposed to like, right. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, this is a book written in like 20, you know, 2018, 20, 2017, was, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> somewhere in the 20 teens. Like yeah. I am supposed to bring my modern sensibilities to this book that it like, right. you know, and my modern sensibilities are like, you didn't go far enough. Rainey's right. like good job honey you did a really good job in a tricky situation the one thing that you forgot to question was whether or not you actually needed to accept the framework given to you by the mm-hmm. Westerosi patriarchy like exactly that's the point where you didn't question it and she doesn't I mean patriarchy brain infects all of us like infects mm-hmm. everyone in this world and I do think that it does infect Rainey's and Visenya to some degree yeah um I liked that you pointed out that like they would have no experience being in a relationship in which they were oppressed because for yeah all no nobody understand like nobody's beaten rainus no one's beaten rainus no. from senya right no even if never. they had affairs never never uh, no yeah because they have a dragon and leech you yeah <laughs> and they can't like yeah like yeah. they n- no one could treat them that way right so they might have a harder time relating to it or thinking outside of it um and it does to me ultimately feel like Rainies and Mesenia must have bought into the paradigm of like we want minimal conflict that like once we've kind of mm. conquered everything we want peace because I just found like a passage as I was looking for one of the other places where it says like Aegon says the law of the land shall be the king's peace and anyone who does not keep it shall be considered a rebel and a traitor yeah that like it seems like at some level Rainies and Visenya must have agreed with this way of doing things because like the way of questioning the local customs is the way of conflict would right. have generated conflict and war. And it seems like that's exactly what like Aegon, Aegon himself didn't want. Yeah. And I don't think Rainus or Visenya wanted it either. I mean, they were the yeah. ones primarily ruling. Yes. So if they had wanted something different, yep. it would have been different. Right. I-, I think they're, they're very much insulated by their privilege mm-hmm. that, that these problems didn't seem serious mm-hmm. to them. Yes. There was yes, no I way for them to agree. for this to be serious to them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean when I say, like, I don't think they even necessarily thought about it because I don't know that it would have crossed their mind that it was even that important. Right. You know? Right. Because, like, what is peace? You know, like, that's part right. of that's part of what I what I opened what we opened the section with was like, what is peace? Like, they're defining peace as like the outward expressions of armed conflict. Right. But is it peaceful for the women being beaten? No. No, of course not. No. That's not peace. But like Or other or other abuse. God knows what kind yes. of child abuse was condoned in Westeros. We don't hear a lot about mm-hmm. it because all of our Well, actually no, we do. We get like um mentions of like Arya getting like her knuckles wrapped by septas at times for various things and mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. I mean like there's there's corporal punishment happening right. in Westeros. And you know, shoulder shrug. That's just what it is. That's what's going on. And it's like, well, these because the people that are suffering are the people that are oppressed. Right. They don't have power. Women, children, poor people, mm-hmm. not, you know, pe- people without social standing. Right. And the dragon lords are dragon lords. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. do not, do not uh, empathize that well with these people. They just don't. Right. And it's hard for me not to see that, like, this is the kind of piece that feels like, um, that centrists use in modern politics of like let's just stop mm. fighting 
come on, let's just all get along. And I'm like, right, right. But like all getting along means that like oppressed people are still going to be oppressed. Right. Exactly. So like, is that really peace? Is that really, you know, everyone getting along when you are allowing oppression to continue? Um, mm-hmm. But but it's the peace of the privileged. And I like that you pointed that out. That like, this is yeah. what peace means to the privileged, which means like a lack of armed conflict. It means my um, neighbors are quiet now. Good. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> they're not having loud parties. Right. Um, and they're not asking me to solve their domestic disputes anymore. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's great. Um, uh, I think that's really, really good analysis. Yeah. So uh, uh, who gets shafted this chapter? Our, our girl, Visenya. <laughs> oh, Visenya. For all that, She's... like, this chapter is doing more of, again, of what we saw in chapter one. That's like... Sure, Rainey's is the sexy one who might be kind of frivolous, but, you know, she likes justice and laws and she loves women mm-hmm. and children and Visenya's over there in the corner being accused of witchcraft. <laughs> there was a darkness in Visenya's <laughs> There was a darkness in her. She was so evil, the evilest Visenya. What's funny about this is that I, I'm the kind of person that I need to reread and rewatch things to, to fully like process them and remember them. And one of the things I remember taking away from my very first read of Fire and Blood uh, was I was like, wow, that Visenya was so evil. Uh-huh. I just, like, bought it hook, line, sinker, didn't think about it. I was like, the text says it's true, and therefore it is. And it's like, why, George? Why would you do that to me? <laughs> why would you trick me in this way? <laughs> right, right. So, but I, to- I totally get why people read it and think this is a dichotomy. Yep. Visenya's evil, Rainus is pretty, and they, they've got Disney princess sy- syndrome. Uh-huh. You know? The pretty one is good, and the ugly one is evil. Uh-huh. And yeah, so she just, and it's like, meanwhile, she was the smartest of those three, mm-hmm. from what we can pick up from the text, and was probably doing the most actual ruling yep. of everyone. She probably was, like, the actual ruler of Westeros during this time. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, I, t- I tend to agree that, like, Visenya is... Which isn't to say that, like, Rainey's is dumb. I don't think that Rainey's was dumb. But I do think that, like, Visenya was the was primarily the brains. I think Visenya was, like, extremely competent. Yes. It's, so it's like, I, I agree Visenya had the brains of the three. But, like, just in terms, like, I don't think Rainey's was dumb either. I just think she wasn't as competent as yep. her sister. Mm-hmm. Like, Visenya was just very good at what she did. You gave her a task, she did it. And yep. it was complete and done. Simple. You know, she was very like, if you don't want to do something, I'm going to bully the shit out of you until you do. Right. You know? Right. You don't think you should wear mail to protect yourself? I'll cut your face. Yeah. And I'll do it over and over until you listen. Right. I will prove to you why you need the thing that I keep telling you that you need. If you don't want to Mm -hmm. believe me, I will prove it to you. And she was the one like, I just think that the moment in the, in the eerie, in like we talked about in chapter one is just so like characterizing for Visenya. That she just mm-hmm. comes in and is like, how about I take your son for, for a ride on my dragon? Yeah. And comes down and and Shara's like, here you go. Here's my crown. I'm not in charge yep. anymore. Like, yep. so competent, so smart. Just incisive, quick strike, done and mm-hmm. out. And like solved a problem in like five minutes. She must have used sorcery. So she's an evil <laughs> sorceress. <laughs> she's so competent that she must have clearly used sorcery. It to must, do be witch- must be witchcraft. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Is it witchcraft I, I mean, or is it a smart woman? <laughs> I think it's witchcraft. I don't know how you follow it. <laughs> uh, a, smart, a smart woman, I don't think so. I think witchcraft. 
Right, but this uh, happens with Maria too. Like we mm-hmm. see like women who are competent in power almost always get accused of witchcraft or sorcery or dark arts at some point in the story. That like the maesters just cannot imagine a woman competently, consistently ruling without mm-hmm. magic being somehow involved. And dark <laughs> magic at that. It can't be good magic. This it's gotta be the, the dark way, magic kind. This is like the, the aliens built the pyramids thing. Oh my god, yes. like just, be, just because white people didn't do it didn't mean it was aliens. Right, yep. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. stop, stop. You're being racist. Just just like, because is... a man didn't do it doesn't mean the devil did it, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's so the angle here. And uh, the, the parallels between her and, and Mary are, are pretty strong with the, the sorcery, mm-hmm. the dark arts, the poison, the spells, whatever. She's and the one who there's... lives the longest. Like, it goes out of its way to say that yeah. she outlives both of her siblings, that she becomes like an old, like, an, like mm-hmm. she lives a long time as an older woman. Yeah. Ruling, continuing yeah. to rule. Through the yep. kids. Mm-hmm. And you had this great, great quote here. Uh, some even suggest that Visenya might have been a kinslayer or, and a kingslayer, though no proof has ever been offered to support such cal- uh, calumnies. Okay, so if there's no proof, buddy, then what are you saying? Right, right. That's like my favorite. Like, I'm like, then why mention it? Look, if there's no proof, why even bother bringing it up? Right. Some people say that when Mercury is in retrograde, uh, <laughs> you're more likely to... Uh, be a spooky scary woman but there's no proof of that so (laughs) right right this again feels like a bit of like kind of like we were joking that when um it says that visenya thought that rainies was frivolous that like it was actually like the maester's commentary that this feels like another one of those like i mean maester gildane probably thinks this because he's a misogynist but like he can't just say i think that she was a spooky scary lady who used spells to be powerful he has to say (laughs) And maybe murdered people with it. He has to be like, some say, but there's no proof. Yeah. I'm like, no, you think that. You think yeah. that, don't you, Gildane? Mm-hmm. He definitely does. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> this girl. is like the chapter where like, I mean, it will get worse as time goes on. But like, oh, he's he- definitely setting the stage for like, Visenya was like the evilest, worst queen. She's and bad. We, should, we should come back to this whenever we reach the dance and start talking about Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. Because I, as far as I recall, a lot of this language is similar to how Rhaenyra is described. Mm-hmm. And I think that's purposeful by the maester. I think that he's he's planting those seeds now for, yeah. for the reader to reject Rhaenyra. Ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah, let's definitely come back. Yeah. Um, so themes. We talked about a couple of these. We sort of talked about what a true knight is already with the Kingsguard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we're trying to get that. We talked about power. Yep. Vulnerability um, of women. Yeah, like, and we could talk a little bit more about, like, monarchy being bad, which mm-hmm. is, like, you know, again, theme we're coming back to. Um, like, the end of the chapter, like, the maester says, like, ah, yes, what a good king. Um, mm-hmm. Like... You know, like, the name of King Aegon I belongs near the top of the list of, like, good kings. Mm-hmm. And you read this chapter alongside the last, like, you read the last two chapters together. is like, okay, so it's a bunch of fighting, um, brutal war. He doesn't actually really make a lot of decisions by himself. He's not questioning power. Um, he's not even really making a lot of decisions, but definitely not. Like, there's there are ways in which, like... Aegon and Visenya and Rhaenys could have, like, changed the system in Westeros and don't. 
And, like, this is what a good king is. Yeah. But, like, this feels like a little bit of Martin going, Ah, yes, a good king. Uh Uh-huh. This is what a good king is. And you start to pick it apart and you're like, Well, if this is what a good king is, Should we we have kings? (laughs) Right. Maybe maybe monarchy is bad. Maybe, Maybe we shouldn't have kings. (laughs) <laughs> um, and one of the, like, my favorite quotes from this chapter that, that points to this is the very beginning, where it says, The Iron Throne was forged with fire and steel and terror, it is said. But once the throne had cooled, it became the seed of justice for all Westeros. And I'm like, what kind of justice <laughs> can come out of fire and steel and terror? And again, Iron I think, justice. <laughs> right? Like justice cannot come from that you cannot right. have justice on Absolutely. the basis of terror Absolutely. it's impossible mm-hmm. and again like again like i'm like martin is being really loud here to be like this this is like bl- fire and blood and terror built the throne but like you know now it's great it's justice this is what justice looks like now i mean you haven't brought something up interesting there fire and blood he names the book fire and blood mm-hmm. yep you know is that the inverse name for it too? Does the maester name the book Fire and Blood, or does the maester? I don't think the maester says the name of the book. I don't think he does either. Um, if it's just like a history of the Targaryen, because maesters in this universe usually name it something very specific, like a history of yada yada yada. Oh yeah, no, it says uh, fire, uh, fire and blood, being a history of the Targaryen kings of Westeros. So yeah, no, the maester calls it oh, that too. Inverse, okay. Because that's interesting. Because it doesn't have to. Be, I mean, yes, those are the words of Targaryen, the House Targaryen. So inverse, mm-hmm. it makes sense. But it could have been, in real life, any name. Right. Like the know. Dragon Kings. or you The know, Dragon Kings. The Age of the Dragon. Yeah. House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon. Could have been a name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Martin, Martin chooses to name it that. And it's like, that's really what it's about. It's about the fact that monarchy is bad. Mm-hmm. Because to establish this, to maintain this, to enforce this. It's fire and blood the whole way, baby. That's yep. it. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes me think of um, the opening sequence to um, House of the Dragon, which mm-hmm. I know that I talked about on the podcast where I guested on with you and Kylie and Julia talking about House of the mm-hmm. Dragon, that, like, that was as soon as I started watching House of the Dragon, like, I saw the intro and was like, oh, this show knows what it's doing. Yeah. Because the, yeah. the intro sequence, if you've watched it, is is literally like a machine. Like it's this kind of like machine that's like starting up like pieces are spinning and moving. It's not mm-hmm. the table like in Game of Thrones. It's like this machine, this like stone machine. And mm-hmm. it shows like a sequence of events, like a lot of the little, you know, like the first thing that you see is like a little representation of the Doom of Valyria. It's got like mm-hmm. a little mountain that's on fire. And then it shows like sigils of the various houses and, like, this machine that's, like, popping up and running, like, literally runs on blood. Like, right, the machine runs on blood. Yep. And yep. I'm like, oh, yeah, they know what they're doing. That, like, this, the, the machine that represents the Targaryen dynasty runs on blood. Yep. That, that's, you're, like, that's the same thing Martin is doing by calling this fire and blood. That, like, this is a history of the kings of Westeros and it runs on destruction and death. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, like, yep, maybe monarchy is bad. <laughs> Uh, I'm so surprised he, that he's not a monarchy apologist. I really thought that was going to be the point of the story. Huh. So He weird. just loves kings. Kings are great. <laughs> kings are the best. <laughs> we should have a monarchy. We should go back to that. Um, yes. But yeah, and this also points to, you know, one of the other things that we, we've been coming back to in the story that, like, you know, 
ultimately the Targaryens are a microcosm of the ways that like patriarchal feudalism is bad for everyone. That yes. like by refusing to overturn the existing patriarchy, Aegon and Visenya and Rhaenys are beginning the process that will ultimately lead to the Targaryen house conforming to and being warped by the kind of patriarchy that like they don't currently that as far as we know they don't currently inhabit like mm -hmm. sure they're privileged and they're wealthy but like Rainies and Visenya are not oppressed right they are in fact probably have more power in Westeros than even Aegon because they're the ones making decisions he's just right. the figurehead but right. like it ends with as we've said Ares regularly sexually assaulting his wife and no one doing anything about it like right. they end up being corrupted by the feudalism and patriarchy that they are in charge of and this is the moment that it starts because rather than overturning it or rejecting it in any way they conform to it they accept it and enmesh themselves in it make themselves a part of it just on top and they think that if they think that if they accept it and others but like say like but not us mm -hmm. we're different we're special that right. they somehow can protect themselves. But the fact of the matter is toxic patriarchy like this mm -hmm. cannot be controlled. Nope. There's no way to do it for some and not others. It yeah. leaks. And like you were saying for patriarchy brain infects everyone. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's, I mean, hatred and cruelty yeah. cannot exist apart from everyone in the society. If there is hatred and cruelty somewhere within your society, it affects you even if you don't realize it. That's why it's so important to try to take care of each other. That's mm -hmm. why, I mean, like, that's a really powerful theme, and I really love that Martin plays with that here and, yeah. and you know, brings that to light here. You mentioned something just now. We've been calling Aegon a figurehead, uh -huh. and it occurs to me that we have no idea at the time if he was. Right. Because the maester is talking as if he was in charge. Mm -hmm. But the people in Westeros at the time... If they were like, like say for example, Aegon is out with Rhaenys doing some progression and Visenya is sitting on the Iron Throne. She's doing the ruling. Those lords are listening to her. Yeah. Right? They're doing what she says. Yeah, we don't get the sense that anyone resisted the authority that Rhaenys or Visenya had when they were sitting there. Right. So maybe he appears like a figurehead now in retrospect because we we're imagining they ruled through him. Right. But really, they really did directly rule. No, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. That, like, for the, yeah. for, like, yeah, yeah. That, like, the maester cannot admit that they displayed direct authority. But we can see in the text that, like, he was probably, like, that Westeros probably wasn't thinking of him as a figurehead at the time. Or at, at the very least, they were willing to abide by rules and rulings set down by Rhaenys and Visenya. Yeah. Even Which, if Aegon was technically the king, you know, like, was the declared king, like, they carried out Rhaenys' decision with that guy who beat his wife. Like, no one was like, you're right. a lady, you can't tell me what to do. Right, no one was like, well, we have to ask the small council first and consult with the king, whatever. They were like, okay, yeah, this is this is now the law. Mm -hmm. Rule of thumb. Haha, <laughs> isn't that funny? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think that it's, it's almost impossible for the maester to think about it in any other way any other way because he has patriarchy brain as well right. but like factually on the page at the time there's nothing to indicate that people didn't just think of them all all as equal dragon lords yeah basically right you know and that these are and that because they also were the first batch it wasn't like there was like anything previous where it was like well 
it's always been men until now. That There was no until now. There was no king of Westeros or ruler of Westeros. Mm-hmm. So I could see the people initially being like, those are, look, the dragon lords are ruling. Right, 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 right. You know? Uh-huh. Right, rather than like falling into like, well, there has to be a king because we've always had a king. It was like. Right, because they never had a king. Right, like the people in charge are the Targaryens. The Targaryens are the rulers right. collectively, like as a whole, rather than like right. an individual king. Which would kind of explain for me, like I didn't, I've always struggled with why the incest thing didn't come up sooner as a problem. Yeah. Because I would think that that would be like a major issue for people kind of right off the bat. That there was right. like this incest happening and that's a huge taboo in Westeros. But if it wasn't for them so much, Aegon and his sisters, if for them it was like the the ruling dragon lords mm. equally, then I think that would they would see that as less of an issue because these are people who have absolute power over you. Right. And I have often wondered, like we can, I think we can unpack this later when we finally get to the point where like incest becomes a problem, is I have often wondered how much of it was the the actual culture and how much of it was the church. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, like how much of this was the faith of the seven trying to exert power mm-hmm. by saying incest is bad when the when the even when the Targaryens do it. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I have definitely gotten the sense that like most people probably would have been like, I mean, I don't want to do it. But like mm-hmm. you have a dragon. So like do whatever you want. Yeah. Like you're magic. So <laughs> yeah, you're magic and you ride dragons. So is like it, who, who am I to say who you can fuck? <laughs> Is it magic or is it incest? I don't know. I think it might be magic. <laughs> right. That it isn't until, like, the faith of the seven decides that it wants to, like, exert more power. That suddenly incest is now a thing that not even Targaryens can do and that it's primarily, like, coming from a faction that wants to exert more power and control. Namely mm-hmm. the church. Yeah. When we um, get there, that'll be a great discussion on what, what is mm-hmm. the meaning of power. Um uh tiny notes some other links to a song of ice and fire just kind of close things off i thought it was mm-hmm. interesting that oris baratheon also loses his sword hand like jamie mm-hmm. um poor guy i don't know if it means anything but like it was just another one of those like oh we know someone who was held captive and had his arm his hand cut off um who then had a lot of feelings about what that meant for him in terms of his ability to like be a man and have power mm-hmm. and authority in westeros and his name is jamie lannister yeah I don't know. I don't know if it means anything. I think part of it is, is that Martin's very dedicated to not um, not protecting his characters with plot armor. Yep. And I think, like, all these people were captured in Doran and got their hands cut off. And he's like, well, somebody important has to right. also. Like, there's, there has to be a named person to whom this happened. Mm-hmm. And that Oris was there. So right. that would make sense. I do think there are also certain kinds of wounds that he is interested in. Like, I like mm-hmm. he, this is not the only person that will get, like, man that will have his sword arm cut off. Um, he really likes eye wounds, which is squicky for me because I have a thing about eyeballs. It's not my mm-hmm. favorite. Like, it's my yeah. squick. It has, no, yeah. you know, there's it's not objective. It's entirely subjective. But, like, eye yes. things, not my favorite. But, like, yeah. Martin has a thing about people or animals getting their eyes poked out. And I'm always like, Ugh. why, Martin? Because um, that happens with Meraxes in the last chapter. It happens with Aemond in um, House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon. There are several other characters that like have yeah. an eye injury. Dondarrion's missing an eye. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a lot actually. There's quite a few of them. Right. Um, I think I think the sword hand makes sense because in this in this universe that's the kind of thing you would do. Yep. To somebody like a warrior that came after you would cut off his sword hand. It's mm-hmm. got a practical 
Practical effect. Can't ever come at you again. Right. Um, so I guess just to kind of finish things off, we touched on it a little bit, um, but I kind of wanted to bring up a, a few other things about how both Rainey's and Visenya um, have thematic echoes with Daenerys Targaryen. Um, mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about like Danny as conqueror, which is like Danny being paralleled with Aegon. But I do think that there are some ways in which like Danny kind of embodies all three of the Targaryen mm-hmm. of the Targaryen siblings, like um, Rainey's. Okay. okay. Like I'm Rainey, on this ride. I'm on yeah, this ride. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you. I know you're a big fan of Danny. So like, yes. um, Rainey's is depicted as like loving children, right? Like having a special spot for like caring for women and children and the oppressed. Um, mm-hmm. We see that in Danny. Um, who also like has that same care for um, the most vulnerable. It's definitely more prominent in Danny, but we see it in Rainey's. Um, Danny, I'm thinking of like the way that like Danny used hostages in in Slaver's Bay. The way that like people were like, "Oh yeah, you have all these kids. You should probably threaten to kill them. Um, mm-hmm. Like that will keep their parents in line." And Danny's like, "What the fuck? No." No. These are, these are my special <laughs> so baby. These, these are like my little, like they're my cute little hostages. Like I want to take care of them and I want to protect yeah. them and I shouldn't want to kill them. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's some very like visible parallels between Rainey's and Danny. And I think that's kind of like the easiest connection to make other than like Danny as conquering Aegon. Um, but also like, I do think that there are ways in which she parallels Visenya. Um mm. In the way that, like, Visenya is, like, fiercely protective, especially yes. of Aegon. Like, definitely of Aegon. Um, and it's interesting that, like, it's not described as maternal, which, like, might be kind of weird if it were her partner. But, like, we <coughs> see that there are women in A Song of Ice and Fire who depicted as, like, fiercely protective and explicitly described so in maternal ways. Like, I'm thinking of, like, the, like, the women of Bear Island are like fierce bears, meaning like they're both like, like the mama bear, like trope of like right. fierce, like a fierce protective mother who like desperately wants to take care of her children. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that in Danny, like Danny is mm-hmm. like fiercely protective of both her dragon children and also like the former enslaved people that she thinks of as her children because they call her mother. That she right. is explicitly talked about in maternal terms, and. In Danny, like part of that being maternal isn't just this like kind, gentle, doting mother kind of figure that you see that's kind of more like right. Rainey's. It's also this like fiercely protective champion. It's, it's like a protector role that normally would be ascribed to the father. Yes, in the situation. Mm-hmm. But there is no, but there is no father in the situation. Right. Yep. And I think that um, there is a way to view Visenya as having that, though the text does not. Like, the maester doesn't make that connection, but I think that it is possible to view, like, some of that fierce protectiveness she has in that way. If you want, if someone wanted to not be like, wow, what an angry warrior woman with a sword, she's scary. Like, that <laughs> this is- scary woman. Yeah, spooky scary woman. Like, she's angry and fierce and has a sword and maybe uses magic that, like- yeah. The, like, the gentler way to do that is to be like, wow, what a fiercely protective woman who, like, cares mm-hmm. so much, who desperately wants to protect the people she cares about. And I think yeah. it's I think it's misogyny that the maester doesn't do that. <laughs> oh, definitely. And I think this is going to be really relevant when we get into this, the sons. 
yes. the, the children mm-hmm. that she has and the children that Rainus has uh-huh. and how Visenya acts moving forward with, mm-hmm. the, with them, which I think starts in the next chapter that we're going to do. Yeah, I think so. But uh, I completely agree. What, what if Aegon is in Daenerys, though? What dopey shit does Daenerys do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to think about it. I'm sure she does some dopey shit. She's um, 14. Maybe in the fact that she's like, like her desire to um, minimize conflict in Slaver's Bay. Like once, once she's kind of instantiated mm-hmm. in power, um, we can see Danny making efforts to try to minimize, like loss of life, which like we have described as being true of of all of Aegon and, mm-hmm. and Visenya and Rhaenys. Um, I think one could make a case for that. I'm thinking mostly in terms of like the symbolism is the way of like we talked about like. Aegon is the conqueror. Like, according to the maester, Aegon is the conqueror, even though we know that it was all three of them. Um, yeah. But, like, Danny is being set up as, like, Danny the conqueror. Um, right. When she rides the big black dragon. Yes. Who's, like, Valerian reborn. Oh, I know what dopey thing she does. She names a dragon Drogon. He's <laughs> <laughs> oh. like, my she, cha- uh-huh. she changes one letter. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, oh. Yeah, that is, that is a bit like the Aegon Fort. That, that is a little a bit little like the egg on board. Like this is this dope. is my my firstborn egg, my firstborn dragon egg. I'm going to name him after his after his metaphorical dad Drogo and just add an N. Yeah, That's how that works. And it just so happens to look almost like the word dragon. That's just a coincidence. I mean, all three of her kids, you could say, are kind of like that, like Drogon and Viserion and you know Rhaegar, Rhaegal, Rhaegal, yeah, it's a dragon. It's just like <laughs> I'm going to name my children after my two brothers and my husband. Yep. This is great. I'm 14. <laughs> <laughs> right, hey, look, at we, least they're not names like Moonshine or something. You right, know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does make sense that she's a 14-year-old girl naming her dragons. Yeah. Aegon's a little bit older when he names the dra- the Aegon Fort. Valerian. The, the Aegon Fort, oh my god. <laughs> um, Not even like the fortress or anything like that, just yeah. the Aegon Fort. Yep, nope. He doesn't even name it King's Landing. No. That's what everyone else calls it. Yeah, because that's where the king landed. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, I, I think that that's something that we could um, potentially keep looking at is like ways that we're seeing traits from the Targaryens like show back up in Danny. But I do think that there's something to be said for like the way that being Danny Danny is being set up to like reconquer Westeros, mm-hmm. I think we're going to see parallels with all three of the siblings kind of show up just in a single person. Um, I think that'd be great. I would I would love to see those parallels. That's a very literary kind of thing that I would I'm so here for. Mm-hmm. So okay, well I think we pretty thoroughly analyzed that ten pages. Oh my gosh, <laughs> ten more pages. We're we can we're in, we are insufferable, but I'm I love it. So I'm looking at the next. The next chapter is one of the long ones. So we have to figure out how much we're going to do. I'm assuming we'll do another 10. But I kind of want to give our readers a concept of where, where, where we're going to stop. So it starts at the Sons of the Dragon. That's the start of the chapter. Uh, so it's page 51. So let's see if there's a good stopping point on page 61. I feel like we could maybe start at the top of 62. So, like, the opening paragraph says the new king's medal would be tested sooner than anyone would have imagined, and that feels like that's starting, like, a new section. Yeah, that's, but, like, that's we're fair. ending with, like, the crowning of Aenys Targaryen. Okay. So, for, for our listeners, we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter, The Sons of the Dragon, and we're going to end on the paragraph that ends with, 
he knows that only Magor has the strength to rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, so that'll be the next section that we do for next time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get, you know, the ladies had some I'm kids. So, I'm excited. I'm excited for the Sons of the Dragons. Um, and yeah, I ref- I'm going to call him Anies because I refuse to call him Anus. What's wrong with Anus? What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> Just feel like I'm going to giggle. <laughs> It's like it's the one Targaryen name that is never re- uh, repeated elsewhere in the family tree. Yeah, yeah, they were just an, like maybe don't. They're like, oh, we fucked up on that one. Um, there's an Anus Frey, but there's no other Anus Targaryen. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. And I think the Anus Frey was probably Walder Frey, making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I would believe that of him. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna sign off, uh, guys, and thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and until next time, remember. To keep your enemies close, but your king's guard even closer. And also, remember that if your sister can cut your face in three seconds, you're not as great a warrior as you think you are. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. You recording? Yes. All right. This is the Easter egg. I'm saying this for myself, so I know what the hell this is when I open it later. Um. So I was uh I was hate crimed last night. What? Uh, t- <laughs> not actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's this good. Is, this is a joke. <laughs> I, I don't want anyone to get worried. Uh, Taylor Swift, uh, my favorite person, my the, my personal mother, Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, at her concerts that she's been putting on, she. Uh, performs like two unique songs every night Mm. uh, because she's got that much music that she can do that right and my favorite song is a song called ivy and at the show i went to she did not play it for me Uh, (sighs) but last night she played it in cincinnati and Mm. um i'm just devastated (laughs) she clearly loves cincinnati more than you she hate cried me she specifically said i'm gonna not play this for caroline and only play it for somebody else and she brought out the, the the track has another singer on it named Bon Iver. She brought up Bon Iver to sing it with her, and I'm like, "Why, mother? Why would you do this? I, yeah, why would you? <laughs> I, I, why would you treat me this way? I prayed to the mother for you to sing Ivy to me. <laughs> you know, I think it might actually be worse than that. I think she might have heard that you specifically were going to the to be at the concert and had like mm-hmm. had planned on singing it and was like, Caroline's going to be there. No, absolutely oh. not. Oh my God, that must be what happened. <laughs> oh. The maester said so, so that's what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The maester said, <laughs> fuck Caroline in particular. You know what happened is, I know what happened. Taylor Swift used dark magic <gasps> yes. to read my mind mm-hmm. and right. know that I was there and and specifically target me because she's an evil sorceress woman. Right. Did your hand spontaneously start bleeding? Oh my God, it did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>